0: Welcome market participants to another Three Things in Credit. I'm Van Hesser, Chief Strategist at KBRA. Each week we bring you three things impacting credit markets that we think you should know about. We're actually going to bring you four things this week. The first being an invitation to our webinar this coming Thursday, entitled Picking Up the Pieces, Perspectives on Credit Markets Post-COVID. We will hear from six renowned professionals weighing in on these extraordinary markets. Professor Ed Altman, creator of the Z-Score from NYU Stern School, where he is the director of credit and fixed income research program at the school's Solomon Center. Harry Mameski, 20 years in the credit market trenches at Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, and Old Lane. Currently professor and director of the program for financial studies at Columbia Business School. And I will moderate a panel of four market participant heavyweights. Colin Schultz from Element Capital, one of the largest macro hedge funds in the world. Oleg Malentiev, head of high-yield strategy at B of A Securities. David Knudsen, head of U.S. fixed income at global investing giant Schroders. And Richard Berner, professor of NYU's Stern School and former chief U.S. economist at Morgan Stanley and the first director of the U.S. Treasury's Office of Financial Research. Like I said, heavyweights all. I can't think of a better way to spend a morning. Thursday the 28th, 9 a.m. to noon. You can register at KBRA.com. All right, let's get started. This week, our three things are... One, thematic investing seems to be trumping fundamentals in credit. That doesn't sound like an investing strategy, but in this market with this level of exogenous influence, it might make sense. Two... Big bank earnings once again reassured markets that all is not only well, but extraordinarily so. We canvassed the conference calls for insightful color. And three, COVID's impact on globalization and supply chains. How real is the threat? We'll examine the issue. All right, let's dig a bit deeper. Thematic investing trumps fundamentals. Just the mere mention of this topic makes the traditionalists go crazy. Howard Marks wrote about this recently, saying Oak Tree does not base investment decisions on macro forecasts. He added that economists, those along with strategists, that talk in themes, are rarely invited to their offices to share their views. At that point, he goes on to talk about, well, themes. We bring this up not because we don't believe in bottoms-up credit work. It's what we do credit by credit, and we take great pride in treating each and every credit on its own specific merits. We bring this up because investors in risk markets seem to be rationalizing stretched valuations, many at or near all-time extremes, on the basis of favorable themes. Now, when you sit back and think about it, there are quite a few of these. You decide if they stand up to scrutiny. One, COVID is under control. In the U.S., the caseload has plummeted and vaccines are living up to their extraordinary promise. Many highly impacted activities, dining out, air travel, sporting events, school, are back to pre-pandemic levels. The economy is booming and we are decidedly mid-cycle as far as the credit cycle goes. The reality? COVID is spiking again in Europe. Cases in the U.K. are up 50% from September. And low vaccination rates in Asia are a major impediment to supply chain efficiency. I don't think we're out of the woods yet. Two, inflation is transitory. Roughly half of the rise in the consumer price index is related to transportation, something that presumably will correct over the near term as production capacity is increased. If you look at alternative inflation measures, such as the Dallas Fed's trimmed mean measure, which removes some of the extraordinary movers, we see that inflation over the past 12 months was, you ready for it, 2%. The reality? We're in this camp. Until wage growth takes off broadly, which we do not see happening given considerable slack in the labor market, we believe inflation is manageable. Three, fiscal and monetary accommodation is supporting above-average growth. MMT works. Printing money without tax hikes not only filled the hole created by the pandemic, but drove growth to more than three times the Fed's long-term growth forecast. And so far, rates and currency markets are well-behaved. Moreover, the Fed backstopping credit markets drove commercial defaults to very low levels. And more is on the way, courtesy of infrastructure and reconciliation, right? Well, the reality? This, too, must end. And no, upcoming spending plans will not have the same positive effect as it will be spread out over 10 years, and it has to be paid for. But has the precedent been set? Are the federal government and central banks standing by to intervene when times get tough? As we talked about on a recent podcast, it's hard to argue against that in the case of certain shocks. And four, corporate earnings remain robust. Q3 beat rates remain very high. 83 out of 101 reporters thus far. And the year-over-year growth rate is a whopping 31%. Thus far, it feels like companies are largely able to pass along higher costs to consumers. Double-digit sales growth, 15% thus far, is also providing a nice tailwind. The reality? Earnings are forecast to be down sequentially. So overall, the narrative remains in place. COVID under control. Inflation transitory, highly accommodated financial conditions, and a continuation of strong corporate earnings. That narrative, those themes, has a few holes in it, but overall it has proven to be a formidable one compared to the rest of the world. And that's been good for credit. All right, on to our second thing, credit color from the big banks. Another blowout quarter from the largest banks. From a banker's or this bank analyst's perspective, it's hard to imagine a more favorable economic environment. As JP Morgan commented, we still believe in a robust global recovery. B of A noted that their GDP forecast is calling for US growth of 5.5% this year and 5.2% next, more than double normal. As for risks, JP acknowledges that they are, quote, a little bit concerned, unquote, about inflation. Citigroup is watching three things very closely. One, the slowdown in China. Two, inflation and supply chain constraints in labor, materials, and energy. And three, U.S. debt ceiling negotiations. Wells points out that supply chain difficulties and labor shortages continue to represent significant challenges to its customers. That said, Jamie Dimon doubts we'll be talking about, quote, supply chain stuff, unquote, in a year. As far as tapering is concerned, Mr. Diamond points out that we're simply dampening a fairly good economy. It's not reversing a fairly good economy. Now, there is plenty of evidence of excess consumer liquidity sitting on the sidelines ready to spend. Wells' median deposit balances are up 48% for customers who received stimulus and 40% for those that did not. And that is the case despite spend levels that are running considerably above pre-pandemic levels. At Wells, weekly debit card spend was up every week in Q3 compared to 2019 levels and up 26% overall Q321 to q Q3 3 19. Credit card spend is up 18% over 2019 levels. But the big story on the bank side is credit quality. Wells points out that consumers' financial condition remains strong with leverage at its lowest point in 45 years. B of A's loan loss rate is the lowest in 50, 50 years, and some 42% below what was incurred in Q3 2019. Wells pointed out that collateral values for homes and autos are strong. In commercial real estate, credit quality continues to perform well. J.P. Morgan is seeing a robust origination pipeline, having fully removed any pandemic-related credit pullbacks. It is expecting, quote, a little bit of net loan growth, unquote, in the asset class going forward. Wells highlighted the recovery in retail and hotels, reflecting increased liquidity and improved valuations. It's not seeing widespread stress in its office portfolio, although it acknowledges that the impact of work from home will take time to play out. Overall, the large banks expect further loan loss releases going forward, a very bullish sign if base case forecasts do not change for the worse. All right, on to our third thing, the end of globalization. A column by one of our favorite analysts, Greg Ipp in the Wall Street Journal, caught our eye this week, entitled Globalization Takes a Hit from Supply Crunch. This was, and I guess still is, one of the points we all pondered back at the beginning of COVID. The idea that the U.S. economy, with its outsourcing and just-in-time inventory model, had little margin for error against a shock, be it geopolitical or natural disaster. And COVID was the test case that proved this out. The lesson learned was that firms would have to change behavior. They would have to pay up, hello, margin pressure, to diversify those far-flung supply chains. So here we are, 18 months into this, and the evidence of that happening is anecdotal at best. And count us among the skeptical that things will change materially, barring some geopolitical shock, such as a material chill between the U.S. and China. Part of the resistance is inertia. Once companies have established dependable sources of materials, those relationships tend to be quite sticky, and it's not like goods producers have the luxury of redesigning their supply chains. Part of this is a reluctance to incur the cost, and it can be material, to buy insurance against supply chain disruption by diversifying those chains. Customers are used to low prices and competition hasn't gotten any less intense. And that puts us on the other side of Mr. Ipp's conclusion that COVID will likely result in production networks more resilient to surprises, but less able to delight consumers with ever more choice at ever lower cost. We would never fight the U.S. consumer and his or her's ability to consume. So there you have it. Three things in credit. One, thematic investing seems to be trumping fundamentals in credit. Admittedly, we are wary of such a view, but in this instance, where massive, unusual forces are in play, it makes sense. Two, Big bank earnings once again reassured markets that all is not only well, but extraordinarily so. We know credit, loan losses, will normalize, but it doesn't appear to be on the horizon just yet. And three, COVID's impact on globalization and supply chains. We are skeptical that change is afoot. Globalization is a powerful thing. As always, thanks for joining us. Don't forget to check in on KBR8.com for our latest rating reports and research. See you at our webinar on the 28th and next Friday for another three things in credit.